Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is the 14th of February, 2024. The 14th of February, if that has caught you by surprise, it's Valentine's Day. It's also Ash Wednesday. It's my sister's birthday. Happy birthday, Tiana. It's also my parents' anniversary. So, Ruth Ann and Ron, uh, yeah, I don't actually expect that you're up and listening, but if you are, happy anniversary. Um, Yeah, today is a day of red and pink and white and roses and cards and chocolates and mm -hmm, hearts. Oh, yes, let's not leave out the hearts. Um, And let's certainly not forget the very heart of God. There's literally hearts everywhere today, right? And, um, And so there's just no question that on this particular day, the sort of conversational soil is already tilled for you and I as Christians to be pressing in and talking about love, talking about love. So how can we bring God back into the conversation about love, real love, not, you know, sappy, sticky, cheap chocolate, expensive roses love, but love. What's God got to do with Valentine's Day? Well, God is love. God is love. And there's a lot of um, folks, actually like a growing tide, apparently, of people in our culture um, who are sort of like anti-Valentine's Day. Um, They they have no intention of acknowledging or certainly not celebrating, quote-unquote, Valentine's Day. And they do it because, you know, they're angry at the fact that people are in love and that love is a thing. And that's just sad. So don't don't be um, don't be a Valentine's Day hater. Be a Valentine's Day reclaimer. Let's reclaim in the same way that, you know, you got to reclaim the rainbow from time to time. Um, We got to we got to reclaim love. Because we actually know the God who is love and people are looking for love in many times the wrong places. Uh, And we actually know what love looks like because we've seen it in the face of Christ. So I'm going to encourage you today to get God back into the conversation of this day on this Valentine's Day by maybe just, you know, while you're standing there in line somewhere or when you're standing astride someone or across from someone who you see, you, you just see at least out of the corner of your eye, you see them roll their eyes at some, you know, ridiculous display of Valentine's Day, right? <clears throat> and first of all, let me just advocate for those of you who are in a relationship. It's a great day to remind that other person that you love them um, deeply and sincerely. Um, we don't fall into love, but we do grow into it. And so, Let's take uh, steps of growing in love today with those whom God has given us to love.
But for the, you know, for the unlovely and those who feel unloved in the culture today, what if you and I were to say something like, hey, did you know that God is love? Where might a conversation like that lead? What, what would you say if somebody leaned in at that point, you know, like raised their eyebrows or furrowed their furrowed their brow when you said, hey, did you know God is love? If they showed some curiosity or maybe even a glint of hope to the statement, God is love, what would you say next? What would you say next? I hope you're going to say, hey, not only, you know, I mean, God is love, but God loves you. Like God is love and God loves you. It's personal. God personalizes and personifies his love in Jesus. And if you want a passage of scripture to look at today, 1 Corinthians 13 is a really good one because it talks about the love of God. My love is not always patient, but God's love is always patient. My love is sometimes self-seeking, but God's is not. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. God's love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes in 1 Corinthians 13, and it is verse 13. So 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, three things last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. What would it look like today on this Valentine's Day when the whole world, well, not the whole world, at least the United States of America, most people in the U.S. know it's Valentine's Day. Most of them do not know it's Ash Wednesday, but most of them do know it's Valentine's Day. Could you talk today about faith, hope, and love? Could you imagine having a conversation today using the love message that God supplies in his word? Patience and kindness. Love that's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love that does not insist on its own way, but um, rejoices in the truth. Love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. A love that never ends. Never-ending love. Putting it in cultural terms, what if you were to make a set of those, you know, those candy conversational hearts? You know the ones I'm talking about, you know, be mine. Those little conversation hearts. I want you to imagine creating your own set of conversation hearts today based on 1 Corinthians 13. What would your conversation hearts say? Well, they would say things like patient love or I kind of love you Mm -hmm. because love is kind. Did you get that? I kind of love you. Yeah, I know. You rolled your eyes. It's okay. Um, Celebrate love. Love endures. Maybe you're going to have a conversation heart that says you first. Or one that says, rejoice. What would your conversation hearts say today if they were biblically based? And how might we reclaim the conversations of the day or start a good conversation with a little heart that said something like true love from John 3.16 or I love you from John 15.9 or crazy for you, 2 Corinthians 5.13-15. Maybe you could have a conversation heart from Psalm 119.94, verse 94 that says, I am yours, Could you have a conversation heart today from God that says, I am yours? Would you receive that? How about Isaiah 43, 1, where God actually says, I have called you by name. You are mine. 
When you see a little conversation heart today and it says, be mine, I want you to think of Isaiah 43, 1. Be mine, God says. You are mine. Mine, all mine. John chapter 10, verse 27 to 30. Maybe you've seen a conversation heart that says, marry me. Maybe that could take your heart and your mind to Revelation 21, 2. Maybe you've got a conversation heart that says, perfect love. 1 John 4, 16 to 18. How about just, I love you? Jeremiah 31, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love, says the Lord. I have drawn you in with unfailing kindness. You could have a call me conversation heart from Jeremiah 33, 2, or a sweet talk heart from Psalm 119, 103. You get the idea, right? And how about one that says hugs? Could you find yourself embraced today in the everlasting arms of God? Those little conversation hearts, yeah, those aren't just for sappy Valentine's Day. Those are opportunities for you and I to get God back into the conversation. Our brother Daryl Crouch is going to join us next. We're going to talk about um, today as Ash Wednesday, and we're going to we're just totally going to have the what does that mean conversation. So today is Valentine's Day. Yes, it's also Ash Wednesday. What does that mean? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our brother Daryl Crouch is back from Everyone's Wilson. If you want to get some encouragement in terms of how you as a Christian in collaboration with other Christians in your community can actually change the world, yeah, everyoneswilson.org. Going to give you a model um, and and some encouragement in terms of how it's happening in one particular community and how that might be multiplied where you live. Daryl, welcome back and good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. Blessed Ash Wednesday. All the things, Carmen. It's such a good day. I'm uh, honored to be with you and uh, connect with your listeners again. So thanks for the shout out. And um, yeah, it's a good good conversation to have today. All right. Um, Ash Wednesday. Uh, there's just a lot of folks, actually the whole season of Lent, a lot of folks did not grow up in a church at all. Um, and many did not grow up in a church that observed like a church calendar per se or seasons or, you know, this sort of like liturgical sense of the passage of time. So um, what is Ash Wednesday and, and what is Lent? Like, what, what are people doing? Why the ashes? Why the fasting? What's going on? Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and I'm one of those. I didn't grow up in a tradition uh, that really observed a liturgical calendar. Um, I think there's such great benefit. Uh, all of us know that there's rhythms in life. The seasons change. Uh, we know that in our own personal lives, uh, we need some markers along the way that help us remember who we are. Sometimes in the even in the secular space, and obviously uh, uh, New Year's, the New Year's resolutions. That's a uh, sometimes those are super helpful and and what whatever. But the the reality is that we all recognize we need markers along the way. And uh, uh, Ash Wednesday and Lent. Uh, the church established this, you know, centuries ago, um, uh, a liturg- in, a, in the liturgical calendar. We're uh, uh, observing other celebrations like Christmas and so on. But um, for Lent, uh, it's a real time of turning our heart to the crucifixion and ultimate resurrection of our Lord. And so uh, Lent begins um, 40 days out from from uh, Easter and from Resurrection Sunday. And um, uh, it's a way to, for us to acknowledge our need uh, for a Savior. 
I, I think sometimes we can get caught up, tied up in um, religious ritual and and think that it's of no value, that it's kind of hollow and void. And certainly it can be. We can be very religious and not in a vibrant relationship with Jesus. However, uh, a vibrant relationship with Jesus will include some rhythms and habits of our life. And so Ash Wednesday, particularly today, is a day of repentance. And we all understand our need um, to turn our hearts and our lives uh, back to Jesus. We all need the moment, um, moments to examine our lives and to um, ask the Lord if there's anything in us that needs to be undone, unlearned, uh, turned away from. Um, and and so uh, this season gives us a chance to be intentional about that and to uh, uh, even some Christians observe it as a visible sign where they'll go to church today. Some friends of mine will be in uh, services today and they'll receive ashes on their forehead and they'll wear those ashes all day today, uh, not as a sign of Hey, I'm better than y'all, or I'm 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 something great, but just as a as a personal um, a symbol of of their desire to turn their hearts back to Jesus and prepare uh, their hearts to, uh, throughout this season, throughout the next month or so, um, of of putting away some things that need to be put away, and uh, taking on some things that need to be taken on that would um, move us into greater intimacy with Jesus. Um, and I'll finish with this. Matthew 16 uh, is that a passage that's very familiar to many of us where Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So those three kind of actions, denying self, taking up Jesus's cross, or taking up his cross, excuse me, and following Jesus, um, those three Elements, I think, are an important part of the regular rhythms of growing in intimacy with Jesus and deepening in our faithfulness and really the satisfaction that we find in him. And so uh, denying, taking up our cross, following Jesus, uh, those rhythms, I think, are, are um, encapsulated in Ash Wednesday and throughout the Lent season. You're definitely going to see people today with um, an ashen cross um, on their forehead. They are going to, you know, go to church early this morning in many, many cases and participate in a service where um, the the pastor or the priest um, applies a, an, an ashen cross um, to their forehead. And so it's an opportunity today to to talk with those people about that. Um, and I invite you to do that. And if you are a person who has never participated in an Ash Wednesday service, like Google Ash Wednesday service near me um, and go and check it out. Here are some um, conversation thoughts for you. If you are a person who is going to have an ashen cross on your forehead today and a person in the culture asks you about that, you need to have some language prepared to talk with them because it's weird. It's weird. You're, you're going to be a weirdo out there. And so... Um, you can talk about people who have birthmarks, and as a Christian, this being a rebirth mark. Um, and I know I have been born again to a living hope um, through Jesus Christ, who 
rose up from the dead, like out of the ashes. Um, and and there's a beauty that comes from ashes. I, I follow a saver who, who is scarred beautiful. Um, and so this is a beauty mark. This is a birthmark. It's a rebirth mark. It's a beauty mark. It's a mark of the Savior and my need for him every single day. Um, and it's a sign of resurrection hope. Um, I have a friend who, whose church burned to the ground a number of years ago. And one of the things that they did on that day was they collected a container of ashes, recognizing that Ash Wednesday was going to come again. And on the following Ash Wednesday, they used the ashes from the burned down church um, as an Ash Wednesday sign of their resurrection hope. Um, Many people will have um, taken the palm fronds from last year's Palm Sunday service, and they will have let them dry. And then once they were dry, they will have um, burned them. And those will be the ashes that will be applied today in many services across the country and around the world. They will be last year's Palm Sunday branches. Um, Because every single year, we need a renewal and a reminder of who we are and our need for a Savior. Jesus turns his eyes toward Jerusalem, and during Lent, we do so as well. We're going to continue our conversation with our brother, Daryl Crouch, here in just a moment. He has a really good piece um, posted on his Substack about, um, you know, those of us who want to collaborate with other Christians in our community to bring real change and to give people resurrection hope, you know, sometimes we face barriers related to like, actually, like, how do we collaborate with one another? And so we're going to let Daryl walk us through the five challenges that he, he observes in this piece. What kind of barriers um, have you come across when you have tried to collaborate with other Christians um, or when you've tried to collaborate with non-Christians in your community to bring real change? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. How are you preparing for the reality of Jesus's last days, his passion, Holy Week, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas's betrayal, Peter's denials, Jesus being stripped and humiliated by soldiers and falsely accused by the Jews and subjected to mock trials and ultimately crucified? How are you planning to give those events in Jesus's life the attention they deserve? That's what the season of Lent is all about. The 40 days prior to Easter are set aside to prepare ourselves to face the reality of the cross and, yes, ultimately to celebrate the reality of the empty tomb. I invite you to join us in reading through the Bible together during Lent. The study will provide a way for you to intentionally engage each day with the Word of God. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com as we read through the Bible together this Lent. We're talking with our brother Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson. He uh, blogs um, on Substack, and so I'm happy to send you the direct link to the piece that is his most recent one, and we're going to talk about today. Um, You can always text me, 877-933-2484. Daryl, Christians like the idea of unity, but sometimes we don't like um, working together. So um, talk with us today about overcoming the barriers to collaborating with other Christians, um, and and the, then the biblical basis for it, like Jesus actually calls us to it and demands it of us. Yeah, there is a, I appreciate all that, and there is a um, um, a desire that we have, I think. We were, we were built for community. Uh, you and I are talking this morning, me and Paul, your producer, have been talking this morning. We Uh, I had lunch with a friend yesterday, and he poured his heart out to me over some Mexican food. We we were built for community, and uh, we all know that. 
but sometimes our organizations, whether that's our church or the nonprofits we work in, our organizations really weren't built to work with other people. We were built to to accomplish our mission. Uh, and again, there's many things about that that's good. And I, I say this in the in the piece. Uh, I'm responsible to feed my kids. I'm not responsible to feed your kids in that in that same way. And so there are some good things about taking responsibility for, you know, for uh, the people in our lives. Uh, but uh, Jesus did expect us uh, to be united. And united doesn't mean sameness. United doesn't mean we all agree about all the things. Um, but in the as as Christian brothers and sisters, uh, he prayed the night before his crucifixion that we would be one. And you can read this in John 17, that he, as he and the Father are one, that we would be united in that same way. And that's a pretty, if you, and I'm not a, uh, you know, a, the, the most gifted theologian, but if, if, if you really chase that down uh, in terms of the the triune relationship between God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and and Jesus is expecting us to to bear resemblance or to be united as as He's united with the Father. That's that's pretty profound. Um, another uh, realization that I think helps is that when Paul wrote to the churches, he wasn't writing to individual congregations. He was writing to the church of the city. He was writing to the believers in Ephesus or Colossae or wherever it was. Uh, there was there were smaller um, congregations in each city and house churches and whatnot. Um, he he understood the collective that was really important. But there are some barriers, and some of that is the way that we think. Um, we we feel like we're you know competing for resources or people. Um, we're you know uh, we we feel like if we're open handed, we're going to lose something, and so we stay close fisted. That scarcity mentality is so hard to overcome. Um, a lot of us are fixers. We want to get it done, and we don't think anybody can do it as well. And so over time, pastors, and I hate to say it, um, the one you're talking to and um, and others can can kind of get a hero complex. And we feel like if um, if we're not getting it done, uh, we're not being faithful. If we're not the hero of the story, and we would hate to say it like that uh, out loud, but but we really like to be the hero. We like our church to be the hero. Um, and so we posture ourselves in a way that uh, sees other people as a threat. And um, and then one of the things that I, I found to be really true in the work I'm doing is that even when we get over those attitudinal things, um, there's not always pathways in our churches or organizations to actually cooperate with other people. Um, we're... we're we're building this thing so people will come to us, not really so people will be sent to others. We want that. We say this, and mm. and I would say this, um, Carmen. Oh, I would wait, say repeat that. Our, repeat that. That's yeah, so good. Uh, yeah. We're, we we would say that. Hey, go live sent. I would say this at the end of the service. Hey, you're you're sent. Well, well, there's no pathway. We we've not created any kind of pathway for believers to actually do that. Uh, we've not given them permission. We really just want them to live in a way that 
they gather back here next Sunday or that they build our organization. And and again, uh, there's so many things about people gathering in a local church that's important. Uh, so we're not going to minimize that, but we've not built systems that actually move people uh, beyond our walls and then celebrate it when they do. And so um, you may want to cooperate with other churches, but you don't have any, there's no mechanism to do that. So that's basically going to be a a side hustle for your church or, you know, or a, a side job. If it ever happens, that's great. But, but there's really no system for that. And so we don't, we don't prioritize it. And then certainly there's some theological narrowing is what I call it. Um, that um, among, and I'm, I'm not talking about heresy or things outside of classical Christian orthodoxy. I'm talking about, we, we strain at gnats in our with our particular preferences and those things isolate us from other believers, and we lose sight of the kingdom. And so um, I, my contention is that while there's a lot of to unpack here, uh, it ultimately comes down to having the posture of a, of a servant, and that, uh, that we take on the, the mind of Christ, and we humble ourselves, and we put others ahead of ourselves. And so when we start to do that, we, uh, the Lord opens up doors for collaboration at that point. Uh, people start to come to us and say, how can we work together? Um, and, and these are not just Christians, but these are public sector leaders will start to come to the church and say, hey, can you help us here? Because we see that you love us this way and we've, we know your reputation. So the, the favor in the community grows when we humble ourselves and uh, live, live open handed that way. So that's the, that's a summary, but, um, um, it's just so important that if we understand that if our our community is waiting on us, uh, we we tend to wag our finger and think they're not listening, but but they are waiting on us to do what Jesus prayed for us to do, so that the light of the gospel could shine bright into every corner of the community. So I'm pumped about that and excited to um, to help um, facilitate that around. In communities around the around the country, that's so good. Um, if you're listening and you're saying to yourself, "I'd like some help with that," I'd like to know more about that. Uh, I feel those barriers to collaboration with other Christians. I want to build bridges, not burn them down. Um, connect with Daryl. Uh, he he is um, easily accessible and available at everyoneswilson.org. If you want me to send you the direct link for um, this particular piece on his Substack right now, Five Barriers to Collaboration and How to Overcome Them, I'd be more than happy um, to do that. So, Daryl, um, blessed Ash Wednesday and happy Valentine's Day. Same to you, Carmen. It's always good yeah. to talk to you on early Wednesday morning. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Um, all right, a note from um, Patrice here on the text line, which the text line's always open, so you know, thank you for jumping in. Um, Patrice wanted to know, when did Lent start? All right, uh, Lent uh, is this season of 40 days of preparation in the lead up to the celebration of uh, the events of Holy Week and, and then ultimately the crucifixion of Jesus and then three days later the resurrection. But, you know, you don't want to just sort of suddenly arrive and not be prepared for Jesus entering into Jerusalem and the events that unfold in that last week of his earthly life. And so um, Lent, L-E-N-T, uh, first of all, for those of you looking for resources related to it, 
And Lent, the season of Lent starts today on Ash Wednesday. But I suspect what Patrice was actually asking is, like, when when do we know that the that Christians started doing this? Um, and the and the answer is we don't know exactly. Um, this period of preparation and fasting was very likely observed since the apostolic times, um, as as those who told the told the story um, and shared the faith and and broke the bread. Um, wanted to prepare themselves for what they knew was uh, a very difficult week in the life of Jesus, his his last week. And so this practice that we call Lent was formalized, actually became a season of the church. It was formalized at the First Council of Nicaea, and that would be in the year 325. So Lent's been celebrated or observed, maybe is a better language, observed for a long, long time. Um, it fell out of favor during the Reformation. That will not surprise you. Lent was dropped, as was Advent, lots of other feast days. Um, and I think that you see it being reclaimed now in the midst of a secular culture because people really need help finding those rhythms in an age that's dominated by secular holidays. So there you go. That's my uh, that's my sense of it anyway. Our brother Mark Terman is going to join us next from the Denison Forum. We're going to talk some about a shooting that took place at a church in Texas over the weekend. And then um, and then I want to have a conversation about there, this growing movement out there that people imagine, people actually imagine that they're not going to die. Yeah, I mean, if you if you really ever wanted to just arrive at, uh, at, at the depth of delusion in our culture, there are people who believe they can keep themselves from death itself. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. How much would you pay not to die? How much would you pay not to die? Now, the Sunday school answer to that question is Jesus paid it all. Um, But what would you pay not to die? Would you pay $2 million a year for an anti-aging regime? How about $999 just to enter a contest so that you might be one of the people invited to spend $300 plus a month for the rest of your life on food products that would actually not be enough to feed you even a meal a day. Now, just checking, because that's what's going on in the culture in which we live. It's called uh, it's called Don't Die, and it's quite a movement out there. Um, joining us now to talk with us about mortality and death and the illusion that we might escape death altogether is our friend Mark Terman, Executive Director of the Denison Forum. Mark, how much would you pay not to die? Well, I don't think I have that much money or ever will have that much money. Um, But death is the great enemy, the final enemy, that uh, fortunately Jesus came to defeat for us. And um, so I'll rest in that since I don't think I'll ever be able to pull it off financially. Well, and even if you could pull it off financially, um, I mean, this is just a scheme. that It's everyone who, you know, gets picked and ends up spending, you know, two grand on this, quote, self-experimentation study following this, quote, blueprint that will lead them to a life where they don't die. Okay, that's just not true. Everybody who does this is eventually going to die. Like, it is the one thing that we all share in common as human beings. There is a penalty to sin, and it is death. Yes, and, you know, it reminds me of uh, one of the startling uh, realizations I had a few years ago that even all those people that Jesus 
healed those that he mm. raised from the dead. I'm thinking of the boy who was on his way to the grave, and Jesus interrupted the funeral procession and resurrected him back to life. Uh, every one of those people that Jesus touched, healed, helped, uh, and even brought them back to life, every one of them eventually died again. And you have to wonder what they were thinking, what their friends and family were thinking. Wait a minute, I didn't think this person could ever die because of the miracle that had been performed in their life. But as you said, the Bible teaches us very clearly that there is a, an appointed for every one of us uh, a time to die, and then the Bible says there will be a, a time of judgment after that, and only those who are in Christ will have their sins covered and be ready for that moment. And that's the thing that we are all afraid of. That is the reality that all of us uh, confront and cannot escape. Uh, but can find hope, life, and assurance in the message of Easter, in the message of Christ as the sacrifice for our sin and as the promise of resurrected and eternal life with God. And that's where our hope must must be centered as we begin the season of Lent today. Yeah, I was thinking in this conversation, uh, you know, that is happening in the culture where these where, where people actually imagine that they could follow some kind of regimen and, and join some kind of scheme um, in which they would not die. I, I thought about two stories um, in the life of Jesus, and one of those is, is recorded in Matthew chapter 16, where you know, Jesus makes it totally clear to his disciples that it's, you know, it's necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. He's going to submit to an ordeal of suffering at the hands of the religious leaders. He's going to be killed, and on the third day, he's going to be raised up alive. And Peter takes him aside and says, um, yeah, no, let, that's not going to happen. And Jesus says, Peter, uh, you know, get behind me. Um, this is, uh, this is, um, this, you got no idea how this works. Um, anybody who intends to come with me, um, yeah, you're, you're not going to be the one in the driver's seat of how this works. And, and I have come to die. I have come to die. Um, and then the other thing that came to mind, Mark, was um, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look, if there were any way other than for Jesus to have died, like in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus says, Father, if there be any other way, like wouldn't that have been the point in time when God would have said, oh, yes, actually, there is another way other than death. But there's not. There's there's not another way. Um, the truth is, on the other side of the death we are all going to experience is eternal life. And the question is where you live on that side of what we call death. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I love both of those stories as they, uh, they point us to the real truth that Jesus came not to avoid death, but to destroy death. He came mm. to transform it uh, from, uh, as, as my pastor used to say, it t he took a tombstone and turned it into a stepping stone into an eternity with God that we all long for and that we can't even imagine will be as beautiful as uh, just mind-blowing in terms of its beauty and its wonder and its joy. But Jesus had to defeat our greatest enemy, which is sin and death. And he was the only one capable and qualified to do that. And as you said, in Gethsemane, we, we learned that if there had been some other way, God would certainly have uh, provided it. But the only way to defeat death was for Jesus to go through death as the king of life and to uh, to demonstrate that he could take our sin upon himself as the perfect sacrifice and ultimately bring a death to death 
so that we could have life with him. That's so good. Um, is there a resource out there that, you know, when you think about the conversations that each of us have the opportunity to enter into, um, maybe with those who imagine that death can be avoided, even at all costs, even at significant cost, like the don't die crowd. Um, is there a resource out there? I guess I'm thinking about Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. Um, is there another one? Is there anything out there that you have pointed to or found helpful where you're like, you know, this is really a good conversational tool to talk with people um, who are confused about about death and what happens after? Yeah, I think there's lots of good resources out there. Uh, Alcorn is a, a trusted writer. Uh, I believe Philip Yancey, even Philip Yancey's memoir, uh, that he recently released about uh, 18 months ago, uh, where he where he recounts his own journey of faith and and now the hope that he is holding on to as he gets into his latter years was very meaningful to me uh, and very uh, encouraging and comforting. Uh, my own pastor wrote a book called "Why Me, Lord," um, and several other books. I loved. He wrote a book called "Gospel for the Graveside." in which he shared a number of messages about uh, claiming the promises of Christ in the face of death and with the assurance that uh, we have a, a living and, and worthy hope in Christ. And uh, I think all of those kinds of resources, starting with the Bible, of course, you know, this so many great things. First Corinthians 15 is, comes to mind as just the, the long extended explanation that God gave through the Apostle Paul uh, about the promise and the assurance of resurrection and the certainty that there is an even more incredible, beautiful life awaiting us through our relationship with Christ. And uh, especially during this season, I love going back to that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says that uh, we have this, this absolute certainty that death has been swallowed up in life because of Christ. If you think um, for a moment that, uh, you know, you're in control, you've got it all mapped out, you, um, you have a life plan, we live in a world where that can change in an instant, an absolute instant. Um, and so we're going to talk with Mark next um, about a shooting that took place at a Texas church over the weekend. I'm going to talk about what we know, um, and we're going to talk about some of the things that it might tell us about the days in which we live. Um, what do you think is going to happen today and how much control over it do you think you have? Yeah, that conversation up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey, Faith Radio is celebrating 75 years of bringing faith to life. That's right. We are 75 this year. So to celebrate, we are giving away 75 Faith Radio birthday boxes packed with all kinds of fun things to help you grow in your walk of faith. And yes, celebrate with us. So we're going to be celebrating the birth and growth and future of Faith Radio all year long, and you are an integral part of the Faith Radio family, and so we want to send you a gift. How fun is that? This is our birthday song. It isn't very long. So to enter to win a Faith Radio birthday box today, come to MyFaithRadio.com. Mental illness, family disputes, high-profile churches and ministries, guns, the war in Gaza, confusion, violence, despair, 
what led um, a woman to carry um, a semi-automatic weapon, high-powered rifle, into a church building with her five-year-old son in tow um, and open fire? I don't know that we'll ever know. I don't know that we'll ever know. Um, but it does point to the, the reality that we live in um, fragile times and we live in the midst of fragile people. Our brother Mark Terman is here. He's the executive director of the Denison Forum. Um, Mark, um, for those who don't know anything about it, maybe just read us in a little bit. Where did this take place and what do we know? A really tragic story out of Houston on Sunday at uh, Joel Osteen's church, Lakewood Community Church, uh, in on the South Freeway in Houston. Been by this church a number of times. My daughter uh, lived just a mile or two away from this church uh, not so long ago. And so uh, a woman walked in with her five-year-old son. She was wearing a trench coat, and under that trench coat had an AR-15 that uh, she began to shoot inside the lobby of the church, and two off-duty police officers returned fire and ended up killing her. In that exchange, in some way, her five-year-old son was also critically wounded and is still today uh, fighting for his life. Another uh, person at the church was wounded in the leg and fortunately has already been released from the hospital. But some of the background of this story is is that this woman had a 20-year history of struggling with mental illness and with all kinds of conflicts. Her neighbors uh, had, at least on one occasion, one of her, her neighbors had taken a restraining order out because they were fearful of her. Uh, she apparently had a troubled marriage uh, to a person with uh, Jewish connections and so the, the the rifle that she brought in had the word Palestine inscribed on it in some way. Uh, the police are still trying to understand uh, what the connection to uh, to that might be between the, the with the conflict in uh, between Hamas and Israel. But just an incredibly tragic situation. You know, Carmen, I talk with leaders at my church. No one ever comes to church expecting danger. Uh, but that has become the world that we now live in. Uh, and other parts of the world have lived that reality much longer and deeper than we have, but it has become uh, unfortunately commonplace even in our culture and in our part of the world and leaves us with a sense of insecurity that is really at times very, very troubling. I have heard... Um you know, I, I hear people respond in multiple ways um, when they hear a news item like this. <clears throat> and um, on some people, uh, I have heard, you know, say, well, I'm just going to start carrying. I'm just going to start carrying. And by that, they mean they're going to arm themselves. And it's one thing for off-duty police officers to be prepared to respond in this kind of situation. It's another thing for everybody in, you know, the the gathering place, the narthex, the use your, use whatever language fits you you know, to, to draw a weapon. Um, and I'm very thankful um, that this took place at two in the afternoon when even this church was almost empty. Um, but we can only imagine what the scene might have looked like um, had this person come when that particular church was literally, you know, brimming with people. Um, I'm, I would be prepared um, to do what? Like, this is the question that I think Christians have to answer. Are you really prepared? Like, are you really prepared to draw a weapon and 
shoot someone that you don't know um, in the midst of a chaotic situation and scene. And if you're not prepared to kill somebody, you shouldn't draw a weapon. And I'm not prepared to kill somebody. Like, I I am not prepared to take someone else's life into mine own hand. So can you, I mean, you're, you like me probably have these conversations with people from time to time when in this like bravado, they're like, well, I'm just going to start carrying. Can you just address that as a Christian? Well, yeah, I, I have a few thoughts in that area. One of my closest friends uh, actually led the church safety effort in our church and consults with churches uh, in a significant way in our area. He's highly trained, uh, former uh, military person, worked in law enforcement at several different levels and also in corporate security. So he knows his stuff, and he's been involved in these kinds of altercations personally. And he and I have talked at length about this, that uh, any kind of bravado in this situation is really, really misguided. And the handling of weapons is uh, a massive issue. And fortunately, people like him and others are well-trained, and we are getting better at uh, securing public environments like churches and schools. We have a ways to go, no doubt about it. Um, but this church in Houston and other churches that uh, we are aware of, we, Carmen, we do know that sometimes these situations have been much worse. Uh, terrible shootings here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that uh, took the life of, of a couple of people. Terrible shooting down near uh, San Antonio a few years ago where uh, more than a dozen people lost their lives in the midst of their congregation when something like this happened. Um, and yes, we do need to have qualified people who are uh, being uh, caretakers and watchdogs uh, over the congregation when the, the people of God, the sheep of God, gather to worship. We need people that are alert and trained, but just the average person who has minimal uh, awareness, understanding, and training uh, is probably putting themselves at more risk as my friend often tells me that most of the people who end up being shot end up being shot with their own pistol if they're carrying one because they're not prepared to handle it in the right way. So we need we need to do all that we can to be wise and to be careful, but we also need to know that ultimately our security rests in Christ. I think the illusion that we're talking about today is is how much we think we're in control. We all want to be in control, but ultimately uh, our choices do matter, but we have to trust that God is the one who is watching over us in the ultimate sense. That's so good. Um, Mark, as always, thank you so much. Um, blessings on you and yours um, during this uh, season of of Lent and preparation for um, the events of Holy Week. Um, we turn ourselves with Jesus toward Jerusalem today. Um, and, uh, and happy Valentine's Day as well. May the love of Christ um, not only... Uh, be experienced by you, but through you in the lives of others. Thank you, Carmen. Same to you. Yeah. Thank you. That's Mark Terman. You can find him at uh, denisonforum.org. I make use every single day of uh, the daily article, so I commend that to you at denisonforum.org. Um, here's a thought for you on this Valentine's Day. Um, every time you see a rose today, which, by the way, <clears throat> if I'm just going to go ahead and give a shout out to Aldi, which is this like grocery store of sorts, A-L-D-I. If you have an Aldi near you, this is where you should buy your roses. If you're going to buy roses, that's where you should buy them because they're 10 bucks, nine ninety nine for a dozen. I got to tell you, 
every other grocery store in my town, they're like 30 or 40 bucks a dozen. Um, and if you tried to go to a florist, it's like 150 bucks a dozen today. So just anyway, go to Aldi. Like, it's, yeah, that's not actually promotional because it's just where I bought my roses for Jim. He's a total um, uh, color junkie. So I bought him my my budget was like 20 bucks. <clears throat> and so at, at Aldi, it meant I could get two dozen. So he has a dozen yellow roses and a, do- a dozen um, uh, orange roses this morning. Orange-ish. I don't know. It's probably not technically orange. Um, anyway, um, all that to being said, when you see a rose today, think of Jesus. Because up from the grave, he arose. Oh, there you go. little thought for the day. Um, all right. We've got another hour together. Oh, yes. Thank you for the person who sent me the Roses are red, violets are blue. Someone loves you. Here's a clue. John 3.16. And another uh, message uh, uh, on this Valentine's Day. You're spending it alone? Don't be lonely. Text the word lonely to 877-933-2484. We've got a message for you as well. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.